for our kids, but really it's a family Easter egg hunt because we're going to have a meal, we're going to have um, ice, homemade ice cream, we're going to have um, a time of, of lesson and uh, together. So if, you'll, if you are interested in that, please be a, come be a part of it. Even if you're not bringing a kid, we are more, you're more than welcome to join us on Wednesday night at 6.15 for the egg hunt. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you know of any kids who aren't here, make sure you remind them that that's happening uh, this Wednesday at 6.15. If you look at the slides, you'll notice that I am so excited about Easter, I moved it up a week. Um, So just ignore the dates um, on there, and I'm going to change those. I had in my mind Easter egg hunt and then service of darkness, and it got me all off. So, But our Easter schedule will be a uh, Friday evening, we'll have a service of darkness uh, in, the, in the student building, one of my favorite services of the year. And then Easter morning, we'll have a 7 o'clock sunrise service, followed by breakfast, and then normal activities after that, but there'll be no evening activities that night. But really excited about Easter. Make sure you invite those in your, in your community who may not have a church home. We would love for them to worship with us on Easter morning. Several other announcements that I could say, but I'm not going to for your sake. Um, but please go to our website. They're all on there. A lot of student stuff coming up. All the dates for VBS, kids camp, student camp, all of those things are on our website. Um, if you have any questions about any of those things, you can see me, um, and I would love to talk to you about those things. So um, as we begin, I don't think Shannon, is Shannon in here? Oh, she's here. So uh, Shannon Wayne's going to come forward, and she's going to talk to us about um, WMU and missions. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. I'm so glad you guys made it on time because I didn't. I'm a little bit late this morning. Um, I just wanted to give you just a small um, little informational piece on Annie Armstrong because next month we're going to be collecting Annie Armstrong Easter money. Um, so I wanted you to know um, what this offering is used for. Um, so it is the primary way that Southern Baptists um, fund missions to all of North America. So 100% of what you give next month is going to be used as gifts to support the 2,400 missionary families in the United States and Canada. So they take that money and they train and resource um, missionaries um, in church plants and everything all over North America. Um, So who was Annie Armstrong? Um, She was born in 1850. Um, She died in 1938, but in her life, um, she was saved when she was 20, and she actually helped to start the Easter offering. And so when her heart was just missionaries all over, and so she, by herself, she would go visit just different missionaries and different church plants and things and get their stories, and then she would come back and she would share the stories that she heard. Um, She personally wrote 18,000 letters in one year to missionaries um, to encourage and build them up. Um, And so she established the WMU. So I want to put in a plug for the WMU. Come join us. We would love we would love to have you, um, ladies. Um, this is a great way for you to get plugged in and to find out ways that you can help um, missionaries and just all kinds of service projects um, and just being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, so we meet on um, the one Thursday out of the month. Um, so if you are interested in that, let me know or Miss Crystal. You can let her know. Um, but um, that's where it got its start through Annie Armstrong um, getting the WMU together. So we would love to have you come and join us. And don't forget, we're starting to collect the offering next month, and it'll be for the entire month. So bring your money, because 100% is going to help with church plants. Thank you. I will pray. (laughs) Yes, let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful to be in your house today, God. I know that the weather outside is terrible, God, and there's so much going on um, 
God, but thank you that you are in control of every raindrop that falls, God, and um, that the winds are in your hands, God, that you create the paths of the wind and the water, God, and that you are in control, God. Please help us to rest in you, God, um, and please give us a heart of worship, God, so we can just focus on you and not on the storms outside, God. I want to um, pray. Um, for those who are lost, God, those who are hurting, God. And I want to pray that you will help us to um, be a light for you today, God. In your most precious name I pray. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worshiping this morning with singing, Open My Eyes That I May See. verse. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but this song is written where the chorus every time is saying, open my eyes. But did you catch that every verse is telling you something else to focus on? Lord, focus on my ears that I hear. Lord, focus on my mouth that I speak. And now, Lord, focus on my mind. Um, and I just think that's so powerful. And then that chorus really is our prayer. Silently now I wait for you. Ready, my Lord, thy will to see. Um, so I just pray that, that we'll kind of reflect on that as we sing this final verse. Give me a start and pitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why do we do it? We're doing the last verse. I was just talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> Open my mind that I may read more of thy love in word and deed. What shall
continue worshiping with our love to tell the story. go a little out of our typical order today and the choir is going to sing and we're actually not going to sing any more congregation stuff after the choir sings and after the choir sings I think you'll understand why we're going to lead straight into the sermon um, but this is a song from experiencing God um, as they told you that that uh, performance is tonight I have some flowers if you want to take some with you at the end um, but just know that the choir has really been praying over you guys and every single person who's going to be here listening tonight um, and this morning for, for what you're about to hear.
All right, I guess at this point, if the children would leave for Children's Church, the rest of us, please turn in your Bibles to Corinthians. Yes, Corinthians and not Galatians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So as the children leave, since it's just us here this morning, let me just go ahead and say... Stephanie is so talented. When I hear her sing that, she's better than the lady on the radio that does that song. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to the choir prepare for tonight. It's a really, really good in content and the songs musical. Uh, Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God, such a man greatly used of God in his teaching and his understanding of what it means to know and live out the gospel. So it's kind of old school and a lot of the material came out late 90s, but the songs are very familiar. You'll love them all. That, that's just a sample. So um, again, since it's just us, I think Stephanie is, 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 is better than what you hear on the radio. Please don't tell the radio people that because we don't want to lose her. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I'll be honest. Well, hopefully I'm always being honest when (laughs) y'all are in trouble this morning. The rain's falling. There's just a few of us, and it looks like I've got a little extra time. I kind of get hung up on things. And so this is the second week that we have looked at the biblical command to remember the poor. And so following the trip to Nicaragua, as I said, I knew that we were working through Galatians, and I knew Bryson was preparing a sermon that had that crucial, weighty verse in it. Remember the poor, Galatians 2.10. And so... I was thinking about Glenlock and all that's going on here as I walked through Nicaragua. And we were confronted yet again with the poverty and the need of a country like that. So I spent last week giving you the first two of five reasons that we should be diligent and eager to remember the poor. Now, just as a refresher course, and in case you weren't here, the first reason was you and I should remember the poor because that's who we are. When you obey the command to remember the poor, God is showing you yourself. And He's showing you the condition of the world around you. And when, so when you ask, who are those poor people? Look in the mirror. Because unless you confess and admit absolute spiritual bankruptcy before God, you cannot and will not ever enter the kingdom. Now we may think that the trappings we add and the luxuries we enjoy hide from God and even others our deep spiritual need, but it does not. And so when you remember the poor... You're remembering yourself. The second thing that I wanted to emphasize last week, and I hope that I did, is that when we minister to the poor, when we remember the poor, we also are being invited into the love and the joy God has. So when God sends us to the poor, He's also sending us to Himself. When we remember the poor, we're engaging with God. And so we looked at that classic passage in Matthew 25 that, you know, Lord, when did we see you poor? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? And we thought we were ministering to other human beings, and they were, but in the process, they were entering into the very presence and life and love and joy of God. So when I remember the poor, I remember myself. And when I remember the poor... I'm remembering God. He is there. Then the third reason we're going to see this morning, and that is when we remember the poor, we are remembering the gospel. The gospel. So we'll be in 2 Corinthians 8. But before I get to the text, let me just say that there are many other reasons in the Bible why we should remember the poor. 
In fact, the more I've studied this, the more I've said to myself, well, you just ought to preach the whole Bible because the whole Bible, to a large degree, contains this message within it. So after church Sunday morning, one of our Bible study Sunday school teachers, Benji, comes up to me. And I love Benji's insights. I've known Benji since I was a child. And Benji is one of the most devoted, genuine Christians I've ever been around. And he's also a very excellent Bible teacher. So he was sharing with me that, hey, Neil, in our Sunday school class, we were in the book of Isaiah. And he sent me the text. And in the book of Isaiah, it point blank says that if we do not minister to the poor that we invite upon our lives the very judgment of God. And so let's just say that this morning my house was shaken by the thunder and the lightning, literally. And so I had, did any of the rest of y'all feel that last night? Did you feel that? Every now and then God reminds us of how powerful and how sovereign and how in control he is. Isaiah 10 says that if we deprive the needy of justice, if we rob the poor of my people of their rights, in order that widows may be their spoil and that they plunder the orphans, God says, woe to those who enact such evil statutes. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? Where will you leave your wealth? I said last week, if we mock the poor, if we have contempt for the poor, if we shut our eyes and our hearts and our, our, our ears to, to the justice and needs of the poor, God takes that very personally. And then after Benji had that conversation with me, I remembered that, do you know that the initial sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not sexual immorality? And Sodom and Gomorrah is notorious, right? For what? For sexual immorality. But before they ever reached that point, you know what they did? Ezekiel tells us. God is saying this was the guilt of Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance and abundant food and careless ease. Good grief. I've got abundant food, and there are times I have careless ease. But she did not help the poor and the needy. She did not help the poor and the needy. Thus, they were haughty. They committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Could it be that if we don't actively engage in the passions and the ministries and the energy that God commands us to, that we will find ourselves so absorbed and so blind to God's blessing and riches that we will find something to do with our passion and energy, and instead of remembering the poor, we will engage in all sorts of self-absorbed sins. So be busy doing the right things. Take seriously the right things. So I'll add a warning to the other 50 I'm going to give you. If we don't, we invite the judgment of God. And and one aspect of the judgment of God is, is basically this. Okay, if you won't see your life for what it really is, a gift, and your resources for what they really are, gifts, if, if you don't spend them the way that I command you to, then good luck with that. I'm going to show you what toxic self-absorption ends with, and it ain't good. Okay, thank you, Benji, for the intro of this sermon. Now, let's get to the other reasons, okay? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is motivating the Corinthians to remember the poor. And what I want you to see is how he goes to the gospel... To open their minds and their hearts to be generous and give. So I, I want you to see what he does. He says, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed. Their poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. 
For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So they stretched themselves. I went through a McDonald's drive-thru a couple of weeks ago, and I know I've got a thousand of these drive-thru stories. That's part of the abundant food issue that we have. And you go through, and the lady that's taking the order says, Do you want to round up to help the Ronald McDonald house? And in my, sure, I'll round up, you know. <laughs> she said, thank you. Instead of $12.98, it's going to be $13. I said, man, I gave two cents, right? Two whole cents, I rounded up. That's not exactly overflowing and stretching yourselves through your abundance, is it? Anyway, I divert again. Verse 14, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They first gave their lives away to God and other people by His will. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Corinthians, you be gracious also. I pray that God would do that work. And just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in love, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. And he's talking about an offering to remember the poor. He says, I'm not speaking this as a command. I mean, I'm not going to force this or demand this, but as proving through the earnestness of others... The sincerity of your love also. And here's the verse. Here's our verse today. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he became poor. Though he was rich, yet for your sake. Let's go back and add and emphasize that. For you he became poor, that you through his poverty, might become rich. Father, that's a lengthy intro to get to the heart of the gospel, but I pray, Lord, anyway, that that we could see it and feel it and, and know it and believe it so that our hearts would be open and our attitudes would be transformed to remember the poor around us. And as we do so, Lord, remind us that we're seeing ourselves, we're seeing you, we're seeing the gospel, we're... We're confirming the reality of our, our salvation and eternal... And, and we're also remembering the future. Uh, there's a lot here. Um, so, Father, again, thank you for Christ and his wealth, his riches, and thank you that he gave it all. He gave it all for us so that we might become rich in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, after much ado... Uh, the third reason of the five that I earlier mentioned is that God is growing us as we remember the poor to a greater understanding of the gospel. God is growing us as we remember the poor toward a greater understanding of the gospel. Uh, let me help me listen as, as I help myself explain what I mean. Uh, in ministering to the poor, you're remembering what Jesus did for you. In remembering the poor, you're remembering the gospel. And Paul clearly states in 2 Corinthians 8 9, the gospel. So I want us to think about the gospel, the good news, and what is entailed in the gospel and what Jesus did for us. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus began his ministry, he opened the scroll from the book of Isaiah and he preached and announced that good news has come for the poor. I'm here to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm here to set free the captives, open the eyes of the, the blind, lift up the burden and the downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. So from the very beginning, in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus, there was the heart of this ministry that is to the poor. But what Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 8 9 is though Jesus were rich, he became poor. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because many of us, 
many opportunities and times we become, we become less rich for other people. But how many of us have become poor for other people? How many of us have had intentional poverty for the sake of someone else? That, that is a foreign concept to us. But let's think for a moment about what Paul is saying. For us to become wealthy spiritually, Jesus became poor. How did Jesus become poor? Though he were rich. So Jesus, think about the, the, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He is eternally wealthy. He is infinitely glorious. His beauty and his power and his majesty is, is infinitely beyond any other being ever. So though he were rich, he became poor. How did he become poor? Well, think about his birth. What do we say about the birth of Jesus? We say it in one night in Bethlehem. Knock on the door of the, uh, the, the, the inn. Innkeeper, innkeeper. <laughs> Where can we stay? And the innkeeper points somewhere. Out back with the animals. Jesus was born into poverty. Though he created the universe, he condescends by grace to be born in a feed trough. His incarnation in itself was Jesus becoming poor. And then in his life, the Bible tells us he had nowhere to what? To lay his head. Do you ever think about the songs that we sing? I mean, if we're singing them at a slow pace, do you ever think about the words? I asked Catherine to sing Tell Me the Story of Jesus because I remembered in my sermon prep a song that I had been singing the course of my life that goes something like this. And you just sang it this morning. I don't know if you remember it or not. <laughs> Sometimes my mind can wander. Listen to this story about Jesus. Fasting along in the desert. That's poverty. Poverty of relationships. Poverty of food. Tell of the days that are past. How for our sins he was tempted, yet was triumphant at last. Then it says this. Tell of the years of his labor. Tell of the sorrows he bore. He was despised and afflicted. And then here's the kicker. Homeless, rejected, and poor. Why are we commanded to remember the poor? Because Jesus became for us homeless, rejected, and poor. But it wasn't just in his birth. It wasn't just in his life and ministry. As the song we sing says, it was also in his death. You want to talk about poverty, you want to talk about thirst, you want to talk about hunger, you want to talk about nakedness, you want to talk about lack of power, lack of social capital, read what the Roman crucifixion was. It was the absolute lowest point on the social scale that a person could go totally stripped of all dignity, totally stripped literally of all comfort, literally of, of, of clothing. When, when I read through Matthew 25, as we did last week, and Jesus says, when did you see me hungry? When did you see me thirsty? When did you see me a stranger? When did you see me sick? When did you see me in prison? If the cross at all is in your heart and mind, you ought to say to yourself, I saw Jesus on the cross, hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. When I took us to Revelation 3 last week to show us ourselves and what we're really like when we become self-satisfied and arrogant, and Jesus comes to the church at Laodicea and says, You don't know it, but you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor, blind, and naked. We ask ourselves, well, when did we see Jesus wretched and miserable 
and poor and blind and naked. We see it in his birth. We see it in his life. But surely we also see it on the cross in his death. So when Paul says he became poor so that you and I could become wealthy, surely when you remember the poor, the nature and the work of Christ comes into your mind and opens it up. It opens it up. So for your sake, so, so now the, the flip side of that verse is, is that now we're rich. Now we're wealthy. What is the wealth of the person in Christ? Well, we are wealthy in forgiveness. We are wealthy in character. We are wealthy in our future. The Father has chosen gladly to give us the kingdom. So we're no longer competitive and wrestling and outdoing one another and clutching on with the the clutches of greed and lust to have a little bit more than the next guy, although that's a temptation for you, as it is a temptation for me. But in our heart of hearts, we know that we are infinitely rich because Jesus became poor for us. It was His grace and His poverty that enabled us to become, to become wealthy. Wealthy in a spiritual sense, but also in many cases by His grace, wealthy in a material sense as well. So in order for me to see the poor rightly and have the right attitude for them, I've got to go to the gospel because what empowers a person like me to open up my heart and my mind and my attitude to remember the poor. Well, I'm going to need some things, and the things that I need are going to come from the gospel. I'm going to need self-denial. I'm going to need humility. I'm going to need a willingness to sacrifice and also a willingness to forgive. I'm going to need a willingness to see life through the eyes of mercy Instead of just for fun, say, get a job. I know that in my own life, everything that I have is a gift of God's mercy and grace, especially what I've received from the gospel. I'm going to need love, and I'm going to need gratitude, and I'm going to need perseverance because it's not easy to help other people. It can be very frustrating and difficult and complex to help other people. Where are we going to get what we need to in order to remember the poor correctly? We're going to get it from the gospel, the good news of God, that though he were rich, he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become wealthy. This is what I will call the mystery element of the gospel, that he did become poor so that we would become rich, that he was in darkness so that we might see the light, that he was bound so that we might be set free. That he was broken so that we might be healed. That he became burdened so that we could be strengthened. That he was poor, blind, naked, tormented, and treated like a leper so that we could be clothed and cleansed and welcomed into the family. And like a poor widow, he became forsaken and alone so that we would never be forsaken alone, which is why Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, but you don't always have me. Why would he prioritize himself over ministry to the poor? Because unless I remember Jesus correctly, I'll never remember the poor the way God has called us to remember the poor. In fact, let me give you an intentionally pre-written statement that I didn't want to leave out. The only way to remember the poor is to remember Jesus. And the disciples were sitting back saying as they watched this woman, he took, took this very costly perfume and she broke it and she poured it all over Jesus. And the disciples were back there and they were saying, hmm, that should have been given to the poor. After all, shouldn't we care for the poor? And here the disciples are giving their own uh, moral high ground and saying, oh, we, you know, we would have given that to the poor. And Jesus is saying, you don't always have me, so what you need to prioritize 
is the invitation that God is giving you to remember me and have faith in me and trust in me and have my life in you, then and only then can you begin to remember the poor correctly. In fact, if you don't remember Jesus, if you don't worship Jesus, if you don't put him first, you'll forget the poor. In fact, you'll forget everybody else but yourself if you don't remember Jesus. He's the only one who can take that inner compass of our heart and turn it away from do self to do grace and to do mercy and to minister for others. As I land this and close this, I want to go ahead and give you the other two points so that I don't do this next week. So the third point was that in remembering the poor, we remember the gospel. The fourth point is that by remembering the poor, you confirm the genuine, genuineness of your own salvation. In other words, as you minister to, to the poor, that becomes a fruit in your life where in 1 John, the believers were wanting to know that they were saved. They were hungry for eternal security. And at times their hearts would condemn themselves. And at times they didn't know what to look to. And John basically said to them, if you have the love of God in you, then what that means is you'll see someone in need and you will minister to that particular need. And John says, point blank, we shall know by this that we are in the truth. How do I know that I'm in the truth? How do I know that I'm really saved? How do I know that the life of God lives in me? What's your attitude and what is your actions to the poor? That's one way of telling. There's many ways of telling. But that's one way that John the Apostle says that you can know for sure that you're saved. is ministry to those in need. Why? Because when I was in need, God fully met my need, all my needs, my deepest needs, through the grace that is Jesus Christ. James has the same thing. I'm not going to belabor this. But faith, if it has no works, is dead. So James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Those who are genuinely saved will see the vulnerable, the powerless, and the empty in a gracious, merciful light that comes from the life of Jesus living in and through them. Then the last reason was, when we remember the poor, we're remembering the future. We are remembering the future. What do you mean? There is going to come a day when there is no more poverty. When there is no more injustice, when there's no more crying, no more death, no more pain, there's going to come a day when the last shall be first and the first shall be last. One of the most frustrating things of ministry is this. How do we really help people here? It seems exhausting. It seems like we can't pull it off. It seems like no matter what we do or no matter how we help, here, we really can't ultimately solve it. And that is exactly the truth that remembering the poor will bring you into. That humanity is not going to solve or reverse the curse. Only God can and God will through the new heaven and the new earth. You think helping the poor is real simple until you actually start helping the poor. <laughs> then it becomes very complex. And those hills you drive up and down in your car, you get out and you start running those hills, you'll see the weight of those hills and what it's really like. In ministry, it all sounds great and wonderful, but when you put your feet on the ground, it will create within you a longing for the new heaven and the new earth because here we have no continuing city. And the poor we will have here always. Why? Because only God in His grace can bring heaven down and create a new heaven and a new earth where, listen, the Messiah promises this, in righteousness God will judge the poor. In holiness and redemption, God will create a new heaven and new earth. We're not going to be able to do it, but by His grace He will. So, okay, the, to then I, I don't help at all. No, the opposite is the case. 
We pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remembering the future sends me into the presence to be salt and light because I know that I'm participating now in the redemptive and renewal work that's coming and God also promises in the future a reward to everybody and everything. If you give so much as a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you will not lose your reward. He tells you now, go ahead and invite the poor. Go ahead and invite the needy. I know it's going to be messy. I know it's going to be difficult. I know you're going to leave when they leave, and you're going to be like, did we make any difference? I don't know. But what that will do, Jesus says, when you do that, in Luke 14, 14, this is Gina Kingston's verse that I've been spilling to her for years, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Why should we remember the poor? One reason is, is God is watching and he's going to reward you for remembering the, pu- remembering the poor. So there's a future connection. So let's take the Lord's Supper. But before we do it, let's think about this. The essence of sin is to forget God. The essence of sin, I guess, in response to this message would be to forget the poor. So what did Jesus leave to the church? The perfect illustration to remind us. Do this in remembrance of me. That he breaks, his body is broken, his blood is shed to do what? That was a literal meal. He fed them. He fed those poor hungry saps right there. A wonderful meal. But he was illustrating the greater feeding that he was doing through his death. He was also picturing a future meal in which the poor and the needy and the hungry and the broken would be fed eternally in the kingdom of God. So remember Jesus. Remember how he fed us himself in his grace. And then as you remember Jesus and how his blood and his body has fed us spiritually, then that should open up our eyes and our mouths and in word and deed share this good news with those who are in need, both physically and physically. And spiritually. He feeds us. And then we feed others. He feeds us spiritually and physically. We, we feed others spiritually and, and physically. It's all here. I, I've said too much. Let's through the senses observe the supper. Father, thank you for your grace to us. We are so forgetful. We forget you. We forget your grace. And one of the effects is we forget the poor. And we begin to, get to, to live selfishly. And then we begin to get greedy and envious, angry, discontent. But you pull us back by reminding us of the poverty of Jesus. Broken and poured out. And you said that everywhere the gospel is preached, that moment in which that lady broke and poured out that expensive vial of perfume, that she would be remembered because she was preparing your body for its burial. The ultimate memorial. And here as we taste and hear and smell and see through the senses, the, the remembrance of the gospel and the feeding that it is. Help us to take seriously ministry to those around us in need. And thank you that as we do that, we see you, we see ourselves, we see the future, we see the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask... Our deacons, if they would come forward, active, inactive, we're going to need your help this morning in serving. Uh, We'll serve first the bread and then the cup.
uh, all who are born-again believers are invited uh, to participate and to take. I'll lead us in taking the bread together, then I'll lead us in taking the cup uh, together. This is the way he has commanded us to remember him. And as I said, as we remember him in this way, it will help us remember ministry in the right way as well. I'm going to ask Todd Hanley if he would lead us in prayer uh, before we serve communion. writes in 1 Corinthians 11 in a way that forms how we, how we take and, and what this means. 
He says to the Corinthians, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Amen. Thanks be to God for the body of Christ. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thanks be to God for... Communion, let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation, which speaks to our need of God for every hour. You come as we sing for prayer, to communicate a decision, to 
be baptized, join our church, become a Christian. Uh, as we sing, that's what this time is for. You come. was crummy this morning, but uh, hey, you were here, and we're grateful that you were here. I guess the only thing to emphasize is that tonight at 6 o'clock, for all groups, uh, our church choir will present Experiencing God. It will be such a blessing, so I pray you'll make an extra special effort to be here tonight to hear what God will say through them. Everybody send a text to somebody and tell them to come. Let's sing the doxology together as we close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. See y'all at six.